Squatters and Sororas, the Vice President of the Supreme Council of Amorc, Frater Cecil A. Poole. There are many ways in which the Rosicrucian teachings may be divided. Division on a more or less artificial basis is accomplished by the degrees and lessons of the Rosicrucian teachings. While the degrees do cover certain general subjects, the divisions are as much for convenience as for any specific purpose. Degrees and lessons are like chapters and verses in a book. The division of the Rosicrucian teachings on the basis of subject matter is somewhat more complicated. This is due to the fact that many Rosicrucian principles are presented in the earlier degrees of the organization's teachings. If only one subject of the Rosicrucian teachings was studied at one time, and it was studied thoroughly, the average student would become impatient and also possibly lose interest while devoting many lessons to the complete study of one subject. For this reason, particularly in the neophyte grades, Many principles of the Rosicrucian teachings are studied in part, that is, attention is given to various principles of the Rosicrucian teachings in order that the student may become familiar with certain fundamental facts and principles. It is of more interest and of more value to the student to gain some knowledge of many subjects with the idea of returning to each later than it is to attempt to cover any one subject thoroughly from the beginning. This procedure is possible due to the fact that Rosicrucians are adults. It is not necessary that we begin with elementary principles of each subject and continue until that subject is mastered. An adult is competent to grasp the ideas related to many subjects with the intent and purpose of returning to them at a future time for further elaboration. Furthermore, it must be remembered that the Rosicrucian teachings are for practical application and the development of the ability to apply the principles that the Rosicrucians teach is dependent upon the individual gradually gaining proficiency through the practice of various exercises. If he had to devote his time exclusively to one single subject, the member would not have the opportunity to develop techniques of a psychic nature. When we consider the Rosicrucian teachings in divisions related to general subject matter, we are aware that one phase of the Rosicrucian teachings concerns the practical. The purpose of the Rosicrucian teachings as a whole is to equip the individual to use the information which the Rosicrucian teachings include in a way that the principles and ideas can be applied to that individual's life. Consequently, if the teachings were not practical, if there was no way indicated by which they might be utilized, the Rosicrucian student would simply study philosophical theories and ideas. While these principles might be of interest and possibly of benefit to the individual, there would be lacking the eventual purpose of making these principles practically useful in daily life. The practical portions of the Rosicrucian teachings are essentially those phases of the teachings that have to do with psychology. That is, Rosicrucians are taught the methods by which the principles which are included in the teachings can become the tools with which to apply the general principles to daily life. It is in the use of such techniques as concentration, meditation, and intuition that we are able to transform philosophical ideas into useful and practical applications that can be used in the daily life of each of us. Another phase or division of the Rosicrucian teachings is inspirational. 
Regardless of how practical a thing may be, whether it is a mechanical object which you are going to use in your home, whether it is an idea that you can apply to your work, or an idea that will be applicable to your private or personal problems, unless the idea inspires the individual to act, it will have little value. Inspiration is sometimes clothed in concepts that actually hide its true purpose from our eyes. Inspiration is not necessarily a function of ritual or a sacred formula, although these can be inspirational and many times are the most inspirational activities in which we can participate. Inspiration can also be more specific. You may be inspired in your work to do better, to better apply what you know about your work or to find new means of doing your work better or more efficiently. The motivation that causes you to do these things is, in the broadest sense of the word, inspiration. Inspiration may be used for a selfish purpose, to gain a reward, to gain more money, or to make yourself noticed. But regardless of the motivation, it requires a certain amount of inspiration for an individual to utilize that which he is taught. The Rosicrucian teachings, therefore, to be effective and have value, must inspire the individual to apply the principles that are taught. In other words, if the practical application of what we have spoken is going to materialize, the individual must first be inspired to use what he learns. Furthermore, inspiration serves to establish a close relationship between the individual and the cosmic. It is through inspiration that we learn of the nature of the inner self, in a purely materialistic world, no consideration is given to anything outside the physical world. But as soon as we begin to direct our attention to elements of an immaterial nature, find satisfaction in doing this, then we are being inspired. And as we are inspired, we find that we can draw upon sources of energy, knowledge, and experience which are not ours purely in an objective area of living. Inspiration, then, becomes an active and forceful principle in our lives. Inspiration is not a passive function. Some individuals feel that to be inspired, all they have to do is to listen to good music, look at good art, shut their eyes, sit down, and do nothing. Actually, being inspired should be active and dynamic. Inspiration is the intense desire of the individual to put into application ideals and principles which he has learned. And in this process of applying these principles, inspiration will bring knowledge and guidance to us. Inspiration will quicken the development of our intuitive abilities because we become interested in these fields of thought and direct ourselves toward self-improvement and the consideration of the higher purposes of life. We awaken the means by which we gain intuitive impressions which will direct us. The foundation of the Rosicrucian teachings is, of course, the establishment of a philosophy of life. It is to the fundamentals of Rosicrucian philosophy that we direct our attention in the study of our monographs. And this being the foundation, we draw from the philosophy that we study the psychological applications that make these philosophical principles practical and usable in our lives. We are inspired by both the knowledge which we gain from the philosophy and the practical applications that may be ours to direct our efforts toward a more complete and perfect accomplishment. So we see that as a basic fundamental, as a basic series of divisions of the Rosicrucian teachings, 
The practical, the inspirational, and the philosophical are the triune bases upon which a foundation for a life that is worthwhile may be built. I do not mean to imply that the Rosicrucian teachings offer the only way by which man can attain this true state and attain a degree of mastership. The working principles of Rosicrucian philosophy, based upon these three fundamental divisions, will direct the individual who is sufficiently interested in improving himself and directing himself toward the attainment of the cosmic achievement he wishes. The purpose of life in one sense is to gain degrees of mastership as we live in order that the lessons learned may be so impressed upon our soul consciousness that the time will come when it will no longer be necessary for us to go through the difficulty, vicissitudes, and problems of physical living. In other words, as we take steps towards mastership, we decrease the number of times that it is necessary for us to be incarnated in this physical environment in which we now live. Therefore, as a philosophy, the purpose of the Rosicrucians is to try to direct each of us as individuals toward the attainment of those purposes and accomplishments which will help us become masters of our own destiny. We will now examine some of the philosophical principles that underlie the basic principles of the Rosicrucian teachings. The philosophy of the Rosicrucian teachings is the foundation, or we might say it provides the building blocks with which we build the attitudes that constitute our individual philosophy of life. A philosophy of life is a summing up of all our characteristics and attitudes. In philosophy, we examine the principles in which we place value and the means by which we may achieve our desires and purposes. Without this philosophical background, without the principles which we learn from the study of the Rosicrucian philosophy, we would be unable to ever use the psychological or practical principles, or even to reach the desired heights of inspiration and intuitional knowledge which will direct us in achieving our understanding of the cosmic scheme and our proper relationship to it. It would be impossible to list all the philosophical principles that are fundamental to the Rosicrucian teachings, but for the remainder of my time I wish to review some of the fundamental Rosicrucian philosophical principles that are essential for the foundation of the realization of mastership in a cosmic sense. Mysticism is the most fundamental of the Rosicrucian fundamentals. It may seem to be a play on words. Mysticism is usually considered in the popular sense to be a phase of religion or philosophy or both. As Rosicrucians, we consider mysticism to be one of the fundamental concepts or we might say the fundamental base of Rosicrucian philosophy. The whole concept of the Rosicrucian teachings is based upon the principle that man has certain dignity as an individual and has not only the right but the innate ability to relate himself directly with the cosmic and with his creator. In this sense, the Rosicrucian teachings deny the religious and political implications that are prevalent in the modern world, which state that man must conform to certain laws or principles laid down by other men in order to achieve his own destiny. Many religions require absolute conformity with certain dogma and of using certain designated individuals as intermediaries between themselves and God. This, in our concept, is directly opposed to the principles of mysticism which are fundamental to the Rosicrucian teachings. 
Certain political ideologies, which are so much in the news today, believe in the concept that the individual should be subordinate to the state, that the state should be the prime mover and the prime purpose of all society, that within the state is absolute dominance, which should establish the standards by which men should live and the means by which they should develop their destiny. In such states, the individual becomes subordinate to the group. He becomes merely a cog in the machine, particularly in the communistic concept so prevalent in some parts of the world today. The individual loses his complete dignity as an individual if he adopts such a political philosophy in its entirety. Such political and religious points of view are in direct contradistinction to the concept of mysticism presented as one of our basic philosophical principles. We believe that men, regardless of the political atmosphere in which they live, or regardless of the religious teachings that may be prevalent about them, can bypass these external pressures and go directly to God through meditation, concentration, and prayer. The right of men to approach God is an inherent right which was instituted within men when God first created man and woman in the Garden of Eden, if we wish to follow that allegorical presentation. Man is a life which is a part of God. He is a godlike entity because of the immaterial essence which functions in his body and gives him being, life, intelligence, and existence is a part of God. Life is not a part of the material world in which he now functions. Therefore, life in itself confers the inalienable right of the individual to relate himself directly to that God from which he came. And as he so relates himself, that relationship becomes a key to his own development and a measure of a degree of mastership which he has attained. Therefore, mysticism, which endows man with the right to know his place in the cosmic scheme, is a fundamental base upon which the Rosicrucian teachings are established. What is the force that functions throughout the universe? The Creator established laws that cause the universe as we know it to be. He created material and immaterial. His process of creation was by making operative certain laws and principles. Obviously, the fact of creation must imply the existence of some force fundamental to what is created. If you are going to use an electric current, you have to provide a battery or generator or source of electricity and then apply the current produced. If you are going to repair something around your home, you have to use a tool a hammer, screwdriver, or some instrument as a means of transmitting the force that causes what you are to do to become an actuality. When God created the heavens and the earth, the material and the immaterial, when he made the universe existent, he put into operation a force, a power that caused all else to be that should function through all eternity as a manifestation of himself. We could call this power anything we choose. But in the Rosicrucian terminology, we have elected to call that force or power by the word noose. To better understand this force, we think of noose as a manifestation similar to electric current. Noose flows from the cosmic through all the universe and manifests in two distinct phases, positive and negative. The negative phase is that phase of noose called spirit. It causes the physical, material universe to be and is so well explained in our early monographs. The negative phase of noose is that which makes a physical object material 
and keeps it from disintegrating before our eyes. The positive phase of noose is life, the vital life force, which infuses certain elements of the physical and causes us to realize or be aware of life as a vibrant entity. With the vital life force comes soul, intelligence, and the ability to gain knowledge. We might say that concentration and meditation at first glance would be considered tools rather than philosophical principles. They are means of approaching the mystical concept which we wish to attain. They are the keys to our relationship to the vital life force and eventually to the creator himself. It is through the process of concentration that we are able to direct our mental, spiritual, and psychic forces toward the practical application of the aims and ends in life we want to achieve. It is through the process of meditation that we are able to reflect upon those values which are not to be measured in terms of physical standards. Through meditation we can review what we have been able to accomplish and attune ourselves with the higher forces which make up a part of our nature. Concentration is a step toward cosmic attainment. We concentrate when we direct our mental attributes toward a certain object and bring into consciousness certain principles and ideas. But it is through meditation that we are inspired to utilize these principles and bring them into practical application. Both concentration and meditation should be considered as practical and utilitarian methods of the application of philosophical principles. Meditation and concentration, contrary to some concepts, are not necessarily procedures of sitting with one's eyes closed and doing nothing while waiting for an idea. Concentration, as so well presented in our monographs, is bringing our mental forces to bear upon a principle and then dismissing it from our objective consciousness so that the vital life force that is within us may work upon it and bring it into maturity and realization. Therefore, two of the building blocks of Rosicrucian philosophy can well be considered concentration and meditation, which are the keys to our inner nature and through that inner nature to the cosmic itself. Of the philosophical principles included in the Rosicrucian teachings, the principles of reincarnation and karma are those which take us beyond our existence as entities today. A complete philosophy, to be of any value to the individual, must to a certain extent attempt to explain his previous existence, his present existence, and his future. In reincarnation and karma, we find these principles all in one package. I am not going to attempt here to go into details and functions of reincarnation and karma. I direct you to the Rosicrucian monographs and the book, Mansions of the Soul, for that purpose. So much has been written upon these subjects that sometimes further analysis attempts to confuse rather than clarify. In the consideration, briefly, here concerning certain philosophical principles underlying the Rosicrucian teachings, we must always bear in mind that reincarnation and karma have to do not with a future period necessarily, but with the whole span of individual existence. I spoke earlier of the fact that man is a physical entity infused with a vital life force. Spirit and vital life force are the phases of the manifestation of noose. We are ourselves a manifestation of that force in dual form. That is, we are noose, but we are only aware of noose as it manifests in its negative form as matter and in its psychic form as soul or vital life force within us. In other words, as human beings living on the earth, 
we have never perceived noose as an entity, as a single fundamental force which the Creator caused it to be. We cannot, as long as we are physical beings, realize that perception. Only in a psychic state, only in a pure state of soul, can noose as a fundamental unity by itself be perceived as a complete and all-encompassing force and principle. The process by which that perception is brought about is through the process of living under various conditions and in various states over the period of our total evolvement of being. Therefore, man is alternately in the state of being as physical and non-physical, as I have elsewhere gone into in some detail, by referring to the physical life being a pause in eternity. Eternity is the whole of existence. As we live in alternate states of physical and non-physical existence, we are proceeding through cycles of incarnation. These incarnations in the physical are those of which we are most acutely aware now and upon which we place emphasis. But a time will come when they will end, when we will have had our opportunity to learn the lessons necessary in the physical world and be able to become completely aware of the psychic or non-physical to be directly able to perceive noose and all of its connotations. Karma is simply a manifestation of these functions. There is no law of karma, there are only effects. What we do, the choices we make, determine the future for us, and it is the functioning of this fundamental law of cause and effect that goes to accumulate our karma. I have briefly covered various principles in these remarks, in order to analyze the subject more completely, it would be necessary to restate the entire contents of our monographs. The question naturally arises in our mind today concerning the value of all these principles. The practical, the inspirational, and the philosophical are of value to us in direct proportion to their application to our life now. It is interesting to speculate upon the future. It is interesting to analyze the past. We are inspired by the past, and we are encouraged by the hope of immortality, which is to follow the future. But most of us are less concerned about the past as it may affect us, and the future as it may affect us, as we are about the problems of today. Each of us is faced with problems. None of us can avoid them. The problem most pressing upon us may be one of health, of social adjustment, or of economics. Most problems fall into one of these categories. The problems that are most pressing upon the individual usually relate themselves some way to his physical and mental well-being, to his relationship with other people, or to his economic situation. Problems of life are related to these three fields, generally speaking, and our immediate concern as individuals is attempt to solve these problems. The Rosicrucian teachings do not offer a magic key, that is, an immediate solution to all problems. It is necessary to bring the entire philosophical background that we study to bear upon them. It is very difficult for the average individual to learn to apply literally the principles of concentration that our monographs teach to the principles of problem solving. This requires that we direct our attention to the problem, concentrate upon it, and then dismiss it from consciousness. All of us know how very difficult it is to dismiss a problem from our minds because the very nature of the problem itself causes us to be constantly embroiled within the mechanism, action, and operation of the problem. 
But to solve a problem, we must learn to remove ourselves from the problem in much the same way that we are taught to concentrate and then dismiss the idea from our mind. Having a problem is similar to having a dream or nightmare. We have all had impressive dreams and dreams that seem to involve us so acutely in a situation. How is it solved? How do we come out of a nightmare? By waking up and removing ourselves from it completely. A nightmare would never be solved if we continued to sleep, if we continued to be a part of it. It would always be an impending problem hanging over us about ready to culminate. Only by waking up, only by withdrawing from the nightmare itself are we relieved from its pressure. This can be an example that should give you grounds for serious thought. Since problems and dreams have similarities, I must wake up to be completely free of either of them. By drawing upon the inspiration of our association and realization of the realness of the inner self, and that inner self is the path to God, we can step into another world, a world that can only be perceived by emphasizing the enduring values that were ordained by the Creator. Thank you.